So grab your Bibles, open up to the book of First Corinthians. We're going to carry on uh, this series called Who, What, and Why We Are this morning by, uh, by continuing to look at the, the, the core values see listed on the banners here behind me uh, last Sunday. We looked at two of them, gospel sharing and inspired by biblical truth. And those, we understand, are two non-negotiable pillars that should be there for any and every true church, right? If a church isn't doing those two things, then they are uh, falling short of accomplishing the mission that Jesus Christ gave for his church. And today, uh, uh, we're, we're going to look at some ways of carrying out that mission. And that's really kind of contained in those final three core values you see listed there. Uh, the, uh, the two pillars that we looked at of reaching people for Christ uh, with the gospel and then teaching them through biblical truth, uh, that will never change. But the methods, the techniques, the ways of doing that, well, that can and should change. And seeing that principle in action in the life of the Apostle Paul is, is kind of how we're going to start this morning. And then we'll apply that uh, to the rest of these uh, three values. So you should be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23. And obviously these verses could be a sermon, could be a couple of sermons in and of themselves. We're just going to highlight a few main points, apply them to Paul, see how they apply to us, and then move on into the core values. Well, let's start by reading them. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19, says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Father God, again, we just thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word, which strengthens and encourages us. Uh, we just ask that your spirit would be uh, our teacher this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the main theme of this paragraph of Scripture I just got done uh, reading is, is really quite easy to decipher, right? Paul states it at the very beginning when he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. And you hit those words so that, of course, uh, that alerts you to the fact that, hey, he's going to make a purpose statement here. He's going to tell us why these, these things are going on. And the purpose, the why of doing it is so that he might win people to Christ. That was his ultimate goal. He wants others to experience the cleansing of sin and, and, and the freedom and the eternal life that he's enjoying. And, uh, and just in case... Uh, the people he might be writing to were a little dense, which might include us. Uh, um, he states it again. He brackets that paragraph front and back with that purpose statement, although he, he stated in just a little bit different way at the end. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. 
that all things in this uh, verse refers to all those things, the principles he's talking about in between those two bracketing statements. It's all so that he might win people to Christ. God recorded this stuff in Scripture for us so that, so that we could learn from that and emulate what Paul is doing. And, and as a church, and in, just in case you weren't here last Sunday or, or don't remember, I'll repeat, when I say as a church, you have to think on two levels. First of all, you have to think individually of yourself because you are the church, the church is people. But then we also have to think collectively, us as a group, specifically uh, as a local gathering uh, together, a part of the body of Christ. And as a church, we always need to be thinking strategically about how we can win more and then teach, train more. Uh, how can all things be done for the sake of the gospel? And so seeing how Paul did that, that's good for us because well, then we can use that as a model. And what he says in this paragraph is that he became like the Jews when he was working with the Jews and he became like the Gentiles, he says as, uses that word as or like, uh, when he was working with them. He describes the Jews as those who are under the law, right? And the Gentiles as those who are without the law, simply because the law, the law he's talking about is the law of Moses. And of course, that was given to the Jews, not the rest of the world. So you have the Jews that were given that law under the law and, and the rest without. That's, that's his description. But even though um, he said he's going to be like the Jews or like the Gentiles, Paul took great pains to emphasize the fact that in reality, he wasn't like either group, right? He, he became like them, but he wasn't one of them. He just was like uh, them in a certain way. Notice that he said, to those who are under the law, he became as under the law, though not myself, under the law. He, he understood that and knew that. And then again, he said, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And by the way, if you've ever looked up what the law of Christ is, that's the law of love, loving one another. Um, he's with that law. Paul knew that as a, as a born-again believer, as a Christian, he was no longer under the burden and bondage of having to try to keep all that Old Testament law. But, you know, when he was spending time with a, a group of Jews trying to win them to Christ, he became like them, he says. So, for example, he, he knew that he was no longer, un, no longer under all the Jewish food restrictions that were part of the Old Testament, right? But if he was talking with a group of Jewish people trying to win them, he would not be doing so while eating a pork fritter sandwich and a po' boy, you know, he, 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 he's not going to do those things. Uh, he, he would be careful about what he ate so as not to create any needless um, uh, offenses or, or barriers uh, to the gospel. However, when he was among the Gentiles, he didn't worry about any of that. In, in fact, if he were to maintain certain food restrictions he might actually create a barrier through that by you know, giving off the impression that I'm holier than thou, you know, I'm, I'm better than you, and looking down on you because I'm not eating these particular foods or whatever. And, and he didn't want to create a barrier, so he didn't do that. He, he would enjoy whatever was set before him. And just so we don't think he's just talking about 
Jews and Gentiles, he adds a third group in there to make sure we're understanding that he's really just talking about groups of people because all kinds of groups, various groups, have different uh, rules they live by, you know, whether they're written rules or unwritten rules. And so then he adds in there to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means win some. So what's the overarching principle through this, this entire paragraph for us? Well, just this. Paul's main priority, his biggest concern, was finding a way to connect with people. Whatever group of people he was, he wanted to build a bridge to them, not a barrier. He wanted to be able to connect with them for the sake of the gospel so that he might win some to Christ. And that is a, a principle that every church needs to think through as well, right? God has placed us in a very specific location. Hot, Hot Springs, South Dakota, right? And, and there are different groups of people around us. How do we reach them? How do we build a bridge? How do we make a relationship so that we can connect with people? That's the question that Paul was addressing, and that's, that's the principle he's giving. You've got to think of building the bridge. You know, it's, it's, it's fine for a church to fling their doors open on Sunday morning and say, hey, come on in, join us. Everybody's welcome. But I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Just because you put everybody welcome on the sign, that doesn't mean people are flocking into the church. We need to build bridges and, and connect them. How, how can we best do that? And, and that is kind of where our last three core values come in. Now, obviously, with these core values, there is a, a component of them that is for us, as in us within the church, um, that we're doing it as well. Um, but as we go through them, I, I hope you'll see how they also are a part of how we connect, how we reach in the community. And, and as I mentioned before, these five core values, they're not listed in any particular order. They're not descending order of importance or anything like that. They're all important. We just listed them in that order, so they spell the acronym LIGHT. But uh, we're going to finish the last three this morning by uh, looking first at the T, true worship. Because maybe that's one where many of you may have thought, well, isn't worship all about what we do here in the church? I mean, how's that have anything to do with connecting with people out there? And maybe you think that because uh, a lot of people have accepted the, the premise or the idea that worship is something you do as a congregation in the service. In fact, many people, if you ask them, what is worship? Tell me, what is worship? Define worship for me. There's a lot of people who would say, well, worship is singing your praises to God. That's, that's what worship is, taking that time to, to sing and, and joyfully uh, praise and adore Him. I mean, after all, don't churches often call their morning service the worship service? And, and so doesn't that mean that we come to church in order to worship? And we don't have 
time this morning to, to do an in-depth biblical uh, study of this because we're, we're just looking at each of these briefly, as I said. Uh, but the short answer to that question, uh, don't we just come to church to worship, is no. Or not exactly. or Well, kind of, but not really. Uh, well, let me see if I can uh, clear it up just a little bit. Take a look at Romans 12.1. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, what Paul is saying here is, for every Christian, here's what your service, your act of worship is. And that is to present your body a a living sacrifice. And I think it's very interesting. He didn't say present your life because that's how we would do it. Oh, you give your life to God as as this. He very specifically said you present your body. That's your your act of worship. And and the word present here, that's the word that in the Old Testament... Uh, a priest was used of a priest when he was laying the lamb upon the altar of sacrifice. That lamb had been slain, and, and as he puts that lamb on the sacrifice to be burned before God, that, that word was present to God. And, and, and so he's saying, you, You're presenting your body to God. That's your act of worship. Uh, and, uh, you know, if. If you're a Christian, you've already presented your soul to God, right? That's how you got saved. According to the Bible, uh, he makes you a brand new creation then. But unfortunately, that, that brand new redeemed soul is still stuck inside uh, these as of yet unredeemed and very unreliable and prone to sin bodies. So our act of worship is presenting our bodies to God. And and unlike salvation, uh, which is a one-time event, the idea is you go on presenting your body day after day. Day after day, continually presenting it to Him. So what exactly does that mean? I mean, how how do we worship by, by giving God our bodies? And beyond that, what exactly does that look like, right? How does that, how does that work? Uh, how do you give your body to God? Because we know he's not asking us to crawl up on sacrifice, the uh, sacrificial altar and die, right? Because it says we're presented as a living sacrifice, not a slain one. And, and so what does that mean? Well, first of all, we have to understand what the word worship actually means. And, and the root of the word worship means to ascribe worth to ascribe worth to something, which means, of course, there is this verbal component to it, and that's where we get singing songs and praying and all these other aspects uh, of a service into it. We're proclaiming the worthiness uh, of God to receive glory and honor and praise, to exalt Him and, and to lift Him up. But that word worship also means to honor, to honor with. And, and here Paul is saying we worship by honoring God through our bodies so uh, certainly that would include times of singing uh, songs and praying and and studying his word I mean after all uh, your body 
has to be present in order to do any of those things, right? Um, But in presenting your body to God, it means presenting everything you do as an act of worship, as a way to honor God. Because again, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but you really can't do anything without your body. Right? Uh, This verse is saying that anything and any time you're with your body, whatever it is you're doing, is to be done as an act of worship to God. Going to work. How you do your work is worshiping. If you're married, the way you live with and treat your spouse is an act of worship. Doing the chores around the house and the yard is worshiping. Volunteering in the community, recreating at the park or the lake, exercising at the gym. I mean, think of it. If you're doing it with your body, it's supposed to be worship. That's what this verse is saying. And that means... That in everything you're doing, you are mindful of God and honoring Him in the way you're doing those things. You're treating people the way God wants you to treat them. You're doing things the way that God uh, has called us to do those things and to act in that way. That's worship. That's how you give your body to God. So, the fact is, we do worship God on Sunday mornings. But, not just on Sunday mornings. Right? Monday through Saturday, we are worshiping Him as well. So you don't come to church in order to worship. What you do is you bring your, bo- uh, your worshiping body to church in order to corporately worship with others together for a while. And, and the truth is, we're only together at best a a few hours a week and that means most of your worshiping is done out there right in the mission field amongst people who may not yet know Jesus Christ and that's why your worship is a big part of connecting with our community because see when those out there when they see us doing things God's way acting with integrity treating people with respect, no prejudice, working hard when we're supposed to be working, enjoying God's creation, treating our wives and our husbands with love and respect, investing in our children's lives, caring about the, the needs of the community and especially the poor and the hurting among us. In other words, doing all those things that God has called us to do with our bodies and giving God the credit it, well, that's when they'll see that there's really something different about us and what a powerful testimony that is to the love and the grace of God. So I I hope you came to church to worship this morning. But I also hope that you're going to worship tomorrow morning when you go to work, when you meet with friends, when you do chores around the house. Worship with your body.
It's a living sacrifice to God, everything you are. That's a big part of true worship. Now again, there's a lot more we could say, but we've got to keep moving on if we're going to cover these things briefly. The next one, and, and many of you again may have thought that primarily this one's directed towards us within the church and benefiting us. And again, all these things do, but, but it's not just primarily that way, but it's, it's loving one another. And, and it's true that all of those one another commands that are given in the New Testament, they are, they are given for us. Those one another commands like uh, to encourage one another and to build up one another and speak the truth to one another and be kind to one another and be subject to one another and accept one another and on and on they go. Those, those are talking about uh, how we as fellow believers are, are to relate to one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this in, includes generically over the whole world, wherever you go, this is how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's specifically talking about local congregations, a, a local gathering of a body of believers. Anybody who walks into our church, this is what they should feel and experience is, is all these one another commands being lived out in our relationships with each other. That's what people should see. And the number one, one another command that is given in terms of the one most frequently uh, stated and repeated is that we love one another. So obviously we could turn to a bunch of different verses uh, to, to prove that point, right? First Peter 4.8 says, above all, putting that pinnacle, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Or Romans 13.8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Or Jesus, as he commanded his disciples at the Last Supper, this I command you, that you love one another. Obviously, an incredibly important one another command and maybe you're thinking, well, that's great, but how did that one become one of our core values as opposed to any of these other one another commands? Because those are important as well. Well, last Sunday, I, I talked about how Greg Fell, our district superintendent, came in and helped us to identify. And he, he says, you identify based on what, what is it you're actually doing, right? And as we were thinking through that uh, and, and in our meeting and talking about it, the group of people that were there, uh, one of the things that just continued to come up was the fact that we know that we're surrounded by a lot of brokenness in hot springs, and obviously, we know we're not alone in that, right? There, there's brokenness all over. But in particular, we're thinking there just seems to be a lot of family brokenness here. And whether that comes from drug and alcohol abuse uh, or the reservation system or a major employer in our area that's particularly hard on families like the railroad or from poverty uh, or from just living this life in, in, in the sin-cursed world, there's a lot of brokenness here and, and a lot of family brokenness. And, and guess what? Becoming a Christian, being part of a church, that doesn't insulate you or make you immune from all that brokenness. I mean, the truth is, we all bring our brokenness and our baggage into the fellowship when we come. And if we're truly wanting to reach people... There's going to be a lot of brokenness in people 
we reach. But God, He designed the church to be a family. And we decided that we really wanted to emphasize that particular truth and and be a place where people can experience the love of family, maybe in a way they never have before. Perhaps what was lost to them in their own blood relationships could be found and experienced in their eternal family. So we wanted to emphasize the fact that we are going to love one another the way a family is supposed to love one another. Maybe not what you've experienced, but the way it's supposed to be. And of course, we're not perfect in that. We're all still battling our own sinful tendency. So of course, part of Loving one another like that is, is learning to forgive one another. It's choosing to deal with anything that might threaten um, our, our unity, our harmony as a family in a gentle and graceful way. It's learning to let go of minor offenses because we're all going to be offended by something. It's learning to let go of those. My proverb says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. not allowing them to fester and grow. It's, it's a lot of things. But it means choosing to love one another as a family loves. And, and as a church, we wanted to act and operate as a family acts. Now, I, I mean, I, I've been part of lots of churches, and almost every church says that kind of thing, but then they do very unfamily things in the church. I, I was part of one church where they locked the kitchen because they didn't want obnoxious kids going in there and making a mess. Do you do that at your home? Do you lock your kitchen up so people can't go in there? That's a very unfamily thing. Of course, they were trying to keep people like me and, and my best friend, Brian, out when we were in there, but we got into the church kitchen one time, even though it was locked up, and you, we found saltine crackers in there. So we decided to see who could stuff the most saltine crackers in their mouth and, and, and chewing them up. So we're facing each other and doing this and you're getting tons and tons of crackers chewed up in your mouth well then somebody laughs and guess what happens it spews out well as soon as that happened then the other person starts laughing. and then pretty soon there's crackers spewing all over the place now what do we do as little kids yeah you, oh, man we're going to get in trouble we got to get out of here you know we don't think responsibly like oh I should get a broom and sweep this up and clean this you leave right so that's why they lock the kitchen very unfamily thing to do isn't it seriously we've talked about how we're going to use our building and we come back to the fact if we're a family messes happen things happen that's what goes on in families and you try to train and teach from that and do that we want to be a, a, a true family and maybe you say well yeah okay that's great for us within the church but I don't see what that has to do with reaching people, connecting with the community. Well, Jesus put it this way. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Your love 
the way we love each other as a body of believers is an incredible, powerful witness to the community. We believe that if people saw us loving each other in that way, the way a real family is supposed to, not backbiting, not gossiping, not belittling or demeaning one another, not kicking each other when someone's down, but supporting, building up, encouraging, speaking well of, helping others to achieve, really loving one another, then a broken community would be drawn to that. So loving one another really is a core of of who we are. And it's good for us, a benefit for us within, but it's also a powerful way of relating to our community. The final core value we'll look at just real quickly here is helping hands. And, and in some ways, people might say, well, this is kind of an extension of loving one another. And, and it is, but, but it was really a separate thing of who we are. We, we wanted that love to be expressed in a tangible, practical way. Again, you go to almost any church, and they're going to say, oh, man, so yeah, we're here for you. you know, call us, let us know if you need anything, right? We, they all say that. But oftentimes, you find out that maybe that's more words than reality we realized that really is a true part of who we are i mean if you have a need and express any desire for help and sometimes even when you don't express a desire for help we get a crew together and help and because of that we've for one another been able to clean houses provide meals in time of need. We've poured cement, raked lawns, cut up and removed old dead trees, torn down sheds, built decks. We've helped lots and lots and lots of people move. (laughs) And those are things we've done within our church family and outside. I mean, we're trying to implement Galatians 6.10, right, says, So then, while you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a phone call from, from some desperate person. Usually, it's a little old lady or an old man who's all alone. No family. And they have to move, and they have no one to help them. And I'm getting a phone call because they said, somebody told me. And when I ask about who the somebody was, it's not even somebody who goes to our church. They said, somebody told me that your church would help. That church on the hill. That blue church, that's usually what they That blue church on the hill would help. Is that true? What, a, what an awesome reputation to have in town. People that don't even go here say, call that church they'll help we've expanded that idea of helping hands through that power of one program the little boxes you see in the back you know we encourage each person to just bring one dollar just a single dollar bill every week I mean what a great way to to teach your kids really about uh, giving I mean if they get an allowance or they learn earn some money through chores and and they could give one dollar and they can do that? And, and you think, and maybe the kids will ask, well, what, what good does one dollar, my one dollar do? Well, not a whole lot when it's by itself. 
But when you put them all together, it can do big things. We've used that $1 to buy groceries for several different single moms and one single dad and some other people who have needed help with groceries. We've kept electricity from being shut off. We've helped pay an overdue water bill. We've replaced a broken water heater. We've paid for medicine. We've bought winter jacket. We've paid for gas so a person could get to a medical appointment in Rapid. We've done all kinds of things just in the last few months that we've been doing that power of one. And we don't do that because we want more money as a church. Every single dollar that's, that's given in that power of one goes towards benevolence and helping people. We do it because God has instructed us. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. We do it because we're encouraged by the words of Scripture that say, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Doing it. It's hard work being available to help others to meet needs, isn't it? Sometimes it means giving up your precious free time. And it is precious because we only have so many hours in a day. But it's a sacrifice. But it's more than just helping hands. It's part of our true worship as we present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God which helps us to practically love one another which is a great way of gospel sharing and we do all of that because we are inspired by biblical truth that's who we are let's pray father god we thank you again for your word we thank you for your, your salvation for your holy spirit who leads and guides us we thank you for your grace that that has empowered us to live by your grace in our families, in our community, in our church family. God, we really do want to be here for one another, to love one another, but we want to reach this community for Christ. And we believe you're doing good things in Hot Springs, that you're changing lives, and you're allowing us to be a part of it. How awesome is that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Patty, I like how things work together. So let's stand and sing the solid rock on whom this church stands. <laughs>